You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. We are wrapping up our series on Proverbs. Um, I say wrapping up. I'm going to share with you out of Proverbs 30. I'm saving chapter 31 for Father's Day and Mother's Day. I'm kind of dividing that in two, and I thought just we'll just hold off on that and do that at the end. But this morning... We're, uh, we're shifting gears a little bit. We've finished kind of the Proverbs that King Solomon wrote, and the last couple of chapters were written by a couple of different people inspired by God in that. And I want to talk to you this morning about getting our heart right with God, getting our, our heart where it needs to be with God. I don't know if you've had this experience or not, but it, it happens in most relationships, at least most meaningful relationships. And somewhere along the way, not only do you have just some problems, but as you kind of think about things or maybe you replay a situation in your mind, how things unfolded. And, and if you really are being honest with yourselves and honest with what's going on inside of yourself, your heart is not where it ought to be toward that person. Like you just, you know, there's some bitterness or frustration and just some stuff can seep in and seed in the middle of that. And you realize like, that it needs to get kind of ironed out and sorted out. Our hearts are just, they're mischievous. It's mischievous. It just, it, the, the stuff that's inside of it. And so it's the nature of all relationships, and it's especially a reality in our relationship with God. That, that the, the pride or a coldness that can seep in into all relationships but definitely in our relationships, just kind of like water seeps into your basement, you know, in the spring. That kind of just can kind of come in and cloud in and creep into those. And it happens in our walk with God. And so I want to talk this morning about how do we get our heart back to where it should be with God. So look with me at Proverbs chapter 30. We're going to read the, the words of Agur, the son of Jacob. And he says this in verse 1. He says, The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Your translation may say that a little differently. There's a little bit of debate about exactly how to do that the best, but that's probably contextually the best best way to do it. The man declares, I'm weary, O God. I'm I'm tired, I'm worn out. I'm weary, O God, and worn out. Verse 2, Surely I am too stupid to be a man. Ladies, you could probably like that one. <laughs> Maybe guys you should be, I don't know. But anyway, I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? So this is kind of like Job. If you know the story of Job and God speaking, Job, where were you when I created this world? This is what he, this man is saying. He's like, wow, who has gathered all the winds of this world into his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. And here's why. Lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name 
of my God. Several things in here I want us to notice this morning about getting our heart back to where it should be. You know, after a person surrenders their life to Christ, it's really our job to kind of to wrestle and to fight for our heart and our soul before God. The Holy Spirit keeps us and He saves us and we're a child of God and He forgives us. But it's our responsibility to kind of tend those fires, to keep them warm. And, and when we don't, we begin to go adrift and get away from God. And, and it causes all kinds of problems in our, our life. And Agur is probably in that kind of situation. He's saying, I am weary and I am worn out. Oh, God. You know, the first thing I want us to recognize is that life lived without God is exhausting. When you and I, who are followers of Jesus, and we should know better, we should know that we can't live this life apart from Him. We can't face the trials that we face without Him. We can't walk through the difficulties. We can't accomplish the things in life that we want to accomplish without Him. And somewhere along the way, we begin to do that. That coldness or that prideness begins to creep into our soul. It's natural. It doesn't make it right, but it's natural and normal for the sinful heart to deal with those things and to wrestle with those things. And somewhere along the way, it just doesn't work. And it gets exhausting. We get frustrated and we're like, God, why isn't this working? Why am I running into this? Why am I, what, what is going on? And we start troubleshooting our life after we throw a little temper tantrum and kind of kick and scream a little bit. And then we kind of, God tugs on our heart and we begin realizing, like, oh yeah. And we become weary in that. Life lived apart from the strength and the blessing and the oversight and the paving of the way, is it, it's exhausting. Sometimes it's, we go down that road because we've kind of drifted from God. I mean, sometimes God is quiet. Every day is not going to be this bells and whistles like the most amazing day in the world. There's nothing wrong with your spiritual faith just because today is not just this most incredible day for you. It's okay. Now, if every day is like that, then after a while your heart's getting cold and, and distant from God. But sometimes God's just not speaking into our world. But oftentimes, and for me, if I'm being honest, most often when I start feeling that distance from God, it's because I'm really the one that's moved in my heart. and God hasn't budged anywhere. The Bible says He doesn't change. There's no shadow of even turning within Him. And so sometimes we just become distant in our soul because we're beginning to rely on our strength. We're beginning to pursue our own things, beginning to do our own thing. And we kind of wake up one day and realize that the blessing of God is just missing from our life. The presence of God is not there in our world. And we've compartmentalized either an area of our life or maybe we've never even fully invited God into that world and we just kind of, God is beginning to press down in on us and we get exhausted. And so when we're in that kind of spot, the first thing that we need to do is what Agur does in the middle of that. He says, God... I am just, in comparison to you, I am too stupid to even be a human being. I'm no better than a cat. I'm no better than a, a lizard. He's just saying, God, in comparison to you, I am so thick. I am so clueless. I can't even begin to understand. Forget how strong and how thoughtful and how wise I am. I have not gathered the knowledge 
of you. You, the Holy One of Heaven. You see, sometimes we go through life in the middle of it, and sometimes our heart is warm to God. But life is just, it's hard, and things are in the middle of it. And sometimes along the way, God is also teaching us faith. And we begin to say, but God, I don't understand. Why would you allow this? Why would this be going on? We're trying to make sense of our world. We're trying to figure it out. And it gets exhausting because we're trying to understand something that God says, yeah, I'm not going to explain that to you. God is not obligated to tell us everything in this world, guys. He owes us nothing in that department. In fact, to be really honest with you, our little brain and our little heart couldn't hold all of the information and all of the stuff. It's an impossibility. And so we get exhausted in that. And so along the way, we have to come to this point of saying, God, I can't understand you. You are beyond my fathoming ability to truly grasp and have the knowledge of what is going on. You're beyond me. And we have to step back and say, God, you know more than me. You are completely different than me. God, you, you, your abilities are so far beyond. Which person has managed to go up into the presence of God in heaven on their own and come back and report back to explain all the mysteries of the world and spiritually and of God? Nobody can do that. It's an impossibility. Nobody who is, could gather the wind together just in the palm of their hand could capture that. I mean, you, if you, I'm sure as a kid, try to capture the water in your hand, and you can hold a little bit of it. You know, you can hold a little bit for a little while, and you can hold a teeny little bit in your palm that doesn't go anywhere, but it seeps out. But who can wrap their hand with the wind and even capture any piece of it? It's an impossibility. And so this man is saying, God, you are completely beyond me. That's the first step. The first step when our heart is getting cold before God and we're going through the motions of life and we somehow feel like, you know what? I'm becoming a little dry. I'm kind of dusty. I'm really not walking with God and I'm really relying on me and I'm kind of pursuing things and you realize you've kind of gotten out on a limb and away from God where you shouldn't be. The first step back is to realize and recognize your own severe limitations in comparison to God. We are not the captain of our own ship, the master of our own soul, and the, own the fate of our world, and, and able to make anything happen that we want to. And in comparison to God, we are so limited. The way these are written, it's not just saying, wow, how amazing God is, but it's saying how amazing God is in comparison to our limited Abilities. When you pull out a tape measure to measure something or to you know, roll it out across the floor or whatever, you not only are kind of figuring out how long something is, but you're kind of figuring out how far away that point over there is from you. You see, the first step in us getting our heart warm back to God is beginning to focus on Him. And as we focus on Him, we get a picture of how amazing God really is. But in the process, if we really are understanding Him a little bit better or we're being reminded of Him, we actually are realizing just how far that tape measure runs from God to us. And we are way back here. You know, in days gone by when 
nobility would be there or a king or a monarch or a queen or whatever, and it would be normal to bow and to prostrate yourself before that person of royalty. If you think about that, that's a person putting themselves underneath the authority of that individual. It's them recognizing the worthiness of that person. It's also a point of submission because when your head is bowed and your eyes are lowered, you can't defend yourself. You know, you can't defend against something that you can't see well and protect yourself. So it's a, it is a humbling of yourself, recognizing the other person's authority, their greatness, and is it a, it's an act of trust and submission to them. And that's what he is doing here. He's telling us, God, you are unlike me, anything. Who in this world, including especially me, you are so beyond us. He is falling down on his face and lowering his head and putting himself before God. See, when you and I wake up and we realize that, that we have drifted from God, maybe we've tried to go through some things and tried in our own best power to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and walk in our own strength down that road. And God, what God is doing is like, buddy, it doesn't work that way. You may have thought it worked that way at one point in your life when you were a kid, but that is not the way it works. Our first step back to reality is to say, God, I don't understand. You are so beyond me. And we lower ourselves before the holy God of heaven. And that also plays, and when we go down that road, sometimes it's just a coldness in our hearts. Sometimes we've wandered off to sin and we know it. And you start going headlong down that way, and I, there's all kinds of things that, that, you know, whether it's anger or it's just whatever revenge or jealousy or lust or greed, all of the many things. But when we kind of gone down that road, the first step back is saying, God, I've done all my own stuff. Forgive me. You are the holy God of heaven. It is a humbling thing, but it's you and me recognizing our limitations and it's putting our focus on Him and in the middle of that, there's a really cool reference. I can't help but, but at least mention it if you didn't catch it. In verse 4, what is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. We know in the New Testament, reading the end of the story, there's a reference to Jesus here in the book of Proverbs. You see, it's a turning back to God, and it's a turning even to his son Jesus, to where we want to know Him, but God in His extreme infinite and who He is, He's unknowable apart from Him revealing Himself to us. See, everything in the Christian life is about you and I have earned and gained nothing. That even God in heaven just revealing His very name to us, let alone sending His Son that we celebrated at Christmas just a couple of weeks ago for our sins, all of it. All of that honor and all of that glory belongs to Him. So that's the first step. When your heart becomes cold and getting your heart right with God is to return and begin focusing on who God really is. Go back to the verses that you know. Go back and allow God to speak in your heart and remember some of the things that you know well, but you've just kind of stopped remembering and stopped focusing on. Then the second thing that you need to do is you need to, to trust completely the things that God has clearly said. Look at verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in Him. 
Once we recognize the greatness and the grandeur and the power of God and realize that we are so far from that, then we need to recognize the purity and the amazingness of God's Word that we can trust that God, that He becomes a a strong shield to us. That just as He was a shield to Moses and to David and to those in the Old Testament, that He's a shield to us through His Son Jesus, that we have that relationship with Him and and we find refuge in Him, that our hope and our, our future and our care and our protection is found in Him. That, that He is the, our rock and He is the one that we rely on. But it's we rely on Him and we find that refuge not in general, not through just ideas of our mind, but specifically through His Word. You see, God wants to be that shield and that refuge in our life. But He wants to be that shield and refuge in our life through His Word. And so if we find ourselves in a spot where life is wearied and we're worn down and trying to do life without God, then it is a call to not just seeing the grandeur and recognizing where God is and where we are, but it's also returning back to that which God has given us to be the source of truth in our life that has been proven true. And that is a shield to our soul. It is a returning to the incredible Word of God in our heart. I want you to recognize that what God wants in our life more than anything is for us to trust Him. You see, when we are in that spot and we are worn out or however we've found our hearts distant from God, Maybe we're having a hard time understanding the situation that we're in and what's going in, and sometimes life grinds on us slowly. You know, sometimes things come down our way, and they're just they're so acute, and they blow us away, and they just pound us, and it's like we just got run over by a truck. And then other times, things just kind of grind slowly in our life, kind of like sandpaper over your soul and difficult things. And she just say, God, why? And sometimes we compare our life to others. Well, God, why Why am I on this path? I don't mean a path of sin, but God, why, why isn't this not worked out in an area of my life like it has for my friend and my other friend and my family? And those things are hard to work through. God, why has this turned out this way? This wasn't what I wanted. And so sometimes things are just shock and they're a jolt to the system and they hit us hard, but sometimes, and I'm not sure what it's even harder with just the, the daily rubbing and the sandpaper and grinding in our soul, painful things that just don't let up and go away. And what God says in the middle of it is, is I'm not going to tell you why, but what I am asking you to do is to trust me that I'm your refuge and I'm your shield and that my word is sufficient to take care of you in the middle of those times. You see, we want knowledge as people, don't we? We want explanations. <laughs> teenagers, when we were all teenagers, we wanted our parents to explain to us, well, why? We want fairness in what our parents are doing and deciding, right? We kind of want to be judged in those situations. We did it as teens. And then we as adults, we get frustrated when our teenagers do it to us, but we did the same thing, right? 
We want to know why. We want explanations and all of this. We want it to make sense to us and reason it out because we kind of want to be in charge and in control. And God says, I'm not going to let you do that. Your right response to me is to trust me. See, when we see the grandeur of God and we're returning and getting our heart right back, back to God, we have to let go of trying to necessarily understand everything. God will explain it to you if He wants to. And He may give you a glimpse of it. You probably won't ever understand the full part of it, this side of heaven. But what He's trying to do in your heart is to create trust. And He's wanting you to turn to Him to be a shield, for Him to be a shield and a haven, a refuge to your soul. And the primary place that He wants to do it is through His Word. And that Word has been proven true. That is such an amazing thing. You know, not only is God's Word pure, the Bible talks of being like a purified silver, purified seven times, removing all the slag, all the impurities. It's completely trustworthy and true. But this puts a little bit of a different nuance in it. This is that the Bible has been found to be true. It has been tested. It's been examined. It's been looked at. It's been scrutinized. And it has passed the test. You see, the Bible has been examined and relied on by people for thousands and thousands of years. And it has been proven true over and over and over again. Today, there's so much skepticism towards the Bible. But I got to tell you, it takes a lot of pride and really, honestly, a lot of foolish stupidity to say, you know what? I'm smarter than all those millions of people for thousands and thousands of years that have thought this book was worthwhile. And I think I'm smarter than not just that made-up image of God, but I'm smarter than all those people too. It's really kind of arrogant when you think about it. The Bible has been, you know, tried to have been knocked off from multiple ways, from science to archaeology. And I didn't dig into the science so much. I've done enough of that in the past. But I kind of dove into the archaeology side of it this year. And it's so fascinating. It's just thousands and thousands of years. And as they dig into the soil more and more to find out stuff that happened back when, they end up proving the Bible is true more and more all the time. In fact, it was, you know, it was about a century or so ago that skeptics made fun of the Bible. It's just kind of kind of like Mary had a little lamb, you know, little make-believe stories and these little kingdoms and fairies and whatever is going on. And, and uh, people said, well, see, look, it talks about these people called the Hittites and all, in the Old Testament, all this, these Hittites. And they said, we've never found any evidence digging in the dirt anywhere in the world of Hittites. And then all of a sudden, in the late 1800s, some archaeologist was in Turkey and like, oh, wow, we just found like the whole capital and the whole nation in one spot. And now there's thousands of documents of the Hittite Empire. And the Bible's never been true, proven wrong. An archaeologist came up with this like back in the 50s, but it's even more true today. Like every time they dig in the dirt, they just keep proving it right, and it's never been disproven. David was seen as, you know, a, a mythical, made-up person until all of a sudden they find references in the, in the dirt, you know, these pottery shards and scrolls and all these different things, and his name is referred to it. One of the favorite things that I've looked at recently is just the story of Jericho. We know the story of the Bible from Jericho, but go back and, and do a little research and Google it is, 
When the archaeologists began studying it in the late 1800s and the 1900s, Jericho actually had two walls with it. They found it. Nobody doubts the the accurate existence of where it's located. And there were two walls, and you know, one was kind of down lower, and then there was a big stretch of earthen um, area that was wide enough that people actually lived on it. So there's kind of the city, and then there people lived outside of this, that that first wall. So there was two walls. One big one here, one smaller one here, and a kind of a sloping upward. And you know when the archaeologists found Jericho, do you know, like this is not disputed. I mean, everybody, non-Christians, people recognize it. They found that the walls had collapsed outward. And it was shocking to them because the walls were outward. And everything syncs with the story of the Bible. As they studied it, multiple researchers found when they went in there, they found multiple jars of just completely burnt grain. Jericho had been attacked just after the harvest season, so they had the ability to have water, they had the ability to have food. They probably could have lasted for years. In the typical warfare of the day, when you're facing a two-wall system, you can't win. You, you can't win a battle. What you would do is you would surround them and you'd choke them, starve them to death till they either die or get desperate, and you win that way. But when they found Jericho, all the grain was there. In other words, Jericho didn't fall after a long, drawn-out siege. It fell instantaneously. And the walls didn't fall in because the outside person, usually if you manage to take a wall down, you're on the outside, you hit against it, it goes on the inside. This fell the other way. And it matches what the Bible says, that it basically created a ramp. That is, the, the rubble fell down, it just created a ramp. And the Bible is very clear that every man, was, as they walked around Jericho, just went straight up. They didn't have to go through one little doorway. They could go straight up because God literally had rolled out the red carpet for them all around the city, except in 1907, like 09, when the Germans excavated it, they found a little portion of the north wall that was still standing. And no surprise if you know the story that that part of the wall of Rahab, and there were houses attached right to the wall. And I just look at that and I say, God, you're amazing. That just over and over and over and over again, the Bible's true historically. The Bible's true ethically and morally. Nothing has changed people's lives in the world like God's Word. You know, the one principle Jesus taught us, love your neighbor as yourself. The world is busy looking for solutions to solve all the social ills of the world, hatred and violence. And if the whole world would just listen to that one thing, all of that would go away. There's not enough laws that could be ever written. There's not enough peace officers or law enforcement that could ever be hired and trained to enforce all of it. But all of the, the, the wrongs and the lies and all that we get upset about would be gone. Be gone. Fetal alcohol syndrome would be a thing of the past. Be gone. No one... As we look at God's Word, it has been proven true over and over and over and over again. And so as God's people, when our hearts are getting away from God, we recognize the greatness of God and where we're not. In other words, we're kind of getting full of ourselves and we need to be humbled. But then we also drifted from God's Word. And we need to go back to God's Word. And we need to find our hope and our refuge 
and our trust in it, that it's sufficient for what we need in our life. When you find your heart getting away from God, those are two key things. Now, one last thing I want to say about the trustworthiness of the God, amazing God in heaven. Look what verse 6, there's a stern warning in here. Do not add to His words lest He rebuke you and you be found a liar. You see, God's serious, folks, about His Word. And we dare not add any peace to it. Else God Himself personally rebukes us and we be found someone who lies. And we do this more than we recognize. You see, God has spoken His Word to us and there's no new revelation, there's no new words that we're waiting for out there. God Today, when God speaks to us, if you will, really what He's doing is His Holy Spirit is pointing us back to His Word and enlightening us to what He's already said. There's no new directives outside of that. that God has spoken, and everything that the Spirit does points back to Jesus and God's Word in our life. And He tells us to be very careful not to, to add to it. And 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Let me read to you a, a little phrase that I have missed before, but it's so significant. Paul says this, the apostle, he's writing to the church of Corinth. He says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers. And here's why. That you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Don't go beyond what the Bible has written. Because if you do, you're going to create little factions and divisions in your church. And you're going to follow this one and follow that one because you're not following me. You're doing your own little thing. Sometimes people say, well, I like that particular pastor or that particular preacher because, wow, they go so deep. And in the middle of their going deep, they actually, and people aren't as aware and careful with it, but they actually end up going farther than what God said. You see, when we discuss God's Word, even in our life groups, sometimes we've done it, I've done it, we will say things, well, this is what that verse means to me. And actually, yeah, what we might be saying might be right, it might not, but it's actually not what the verse is saying. See, when we come to God's Word, it's not a matter of what everybody under the sun thinks, it's really a matter of what did God say, and we're told not to go beyond it. Because when we go beyond that, that next little step out there, we just added to God's Word. And we are charged multiple times in Scripture to never do that. More commonly what we do, though, is when we follow our own thinking and just neglect God's Word. You see, what we're doing in that moment, when we just kind of ignore God's Word and we're not following what it says, then we're not finding our refuge in it. We're not trusting in God. And we're actually saying, God, I'm not going to follow what you recommend in that area of my life. I'm going to follow what makes sense to me. I'm going to follow what somebody else is telling me. I'm going to follow what I want to do. And we are adding to the truth of God instead of just yielding ourselves and saying, you know what? I cannot come up with anything better. I'm just going to trust the sufficiency of what God says in that area of life. I'll tell you a little true confession. It was difficult for me as a pastor to talk about disciplining of children last week. 
Part of it is because I know the culture that we're in, that that is such a foreign concept today. It's just the 180 degrees opposite of what everyone is told and thinks. I mean, you go online, you find all kinds of things that you, if you go down that road, your, your child will be scarred psychologically, mentally, they won't like you, you're going to be harming them, you're going to create a person of hate and a person of anger and all of that. And I'm just like, what planet are they living on? I'm like, I've, I've experienced that, the opposite. When you hold a young child accountable for what they're doing wrong in a loving, controlled environment, the drama comes out of it and all of it. I just, I've seen the opposite. Like It removes all kinds of worry and energy and it deals with emotions. It's, just, it's so helpful when it's done appropriately and loving and measured amounts and all of that. But it was hard for me to share that with you because I know that it's the culture so different and I know that Christian parents really struggle even getting their mind wrapped around it you know, and accepting that. But that's what we should expect when we have a God, just what we said a minute ago, who is so far above us that we don't even begin to understand things. And our trusting in His Word says, God, I may not understand exactly why you say that's the way to do it, but it's clear you said to do it that way. Therefore, I trust you. And so we should expect to run into things in Scripture that are hard for us to understand, that are hard for us to accept, to navigate. But that doesn't let us off the hook. And God says, that's what I expect of you. I'll tell you a secret. There's a harder verse than what I said last week. Listen to this one in chapter 30, where I'm not going to talk about it, not much. But look at what verse 17 says. It says this, the eye, this won't be on the screen, but listen to it, the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother. In other words, a person who either makes fun of or thinks they're smarter than dad and does not want to obey their mother. Disobedient kid. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Oh my goodness. That's hardcore crazy talk. And all that verse is saying is, look, that God tells us to discipline our kids, to teach them the respect and the love and the ways of God. And if you don't do that, the risk that the child has is they're going to meet death and destruction and horrible things in their life. So you and I need to take this word seriously. That God, I trust in you. I find my refuge in you and in your word. And I'm just going to be a simpleton and do whatever it says, and I'm going to trust it. Third thing, and I'm done. When your heart's cold and you're trying to get your heart right before God, recognize where God is and where you're not, that you are severely limited. Trust in the things that God has clearly said, even if it's hard for you to accept. And then third, pray for the middle. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Look what verse 7 says. Agur goes and says this. So he's kind of set the table. He's gotten his heart where it needs to be, and he says, two things I ask of you. He's praying. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying and give me neither poverty nor riches. Instead, feed me with a food that is needful for me. God, I need you. But God, two things I'm asking, just two. I don't need three wishes out of the genie bottle. I only want two. God, remove lying from me. He's not saying, Lord, deliver me just from other liars. He's saying, God, I don't want to be lied to in my own heart. I don't want to lie and have falsehood in my own soul. 
God, I want my character to be where it should be. That's his first and foremost concern, his own character and his walk and his life before a holy God in heaven. God, I know that I'm a mess. God, I know that your word is pure and true, and I need to trust it. But God, help me. I don't want to be fooled. I don't want to be deceived. I want to believe your word for where it is. To the degree that God secondly removed anything that might undermine that desire in my life. And God, I see that stuff, money, things that can be bought, either having them or not having them, can pull me away from you, O oh God. He says, God, please, I don't want to live like a poor person, not because I don't want to put up with that, not because I don't want to know what it's like to have a hungry stomach, but God, I'm afraid that if I go down that road, that that hunger is going to cause me to think bad of you and to steal or to blame and to blaspheme your name. God, I don't want that. But God, neither do I want to be wealthy. I don't want to have so much stuff that I, I don't want to ever be in a place that everything I could possibly want, I've got. So that I'm full of myself and I just say, who needs God? That's why Jesus said it's easier for a rich man for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into heaven because wealth has a way of pulling our hearts away from God. What, I'm, what just so struck me, I'm so astounded by with this verse is, is that you and I don't usually approach things like that. We usually approach them from a need or want continuum, right? Is this a need or is it not? And if we're really spiritual, we're like, well, it's not a, it's not a need, so it's a want, so maybe I get it or not. We kind of you know, talk about all that and dissect it. But it's focused still on the stuff. And he steps out of the stuff and says, look, I don't care about any of the stuff. Having it or not is irrelevant. God, I just want my heart straight before you. See, that's where we have to be if our heart is getting right before God. We step back and say, God, I don't care about what any of this stuff that's going on in life. God, I just don't want my life so hard. Not because I want it easy and want to relax or I want a vacation or I want good stuff. But God, I'm afraid. I don't want to turn my back on you. I'm afraid if it's too hard, I'm going to do that. But God, I don't want it so easy either that I get smug and I forget you. And I forget that I have needs in my life. You see, God wants our needs. He uses them to point us to Him, to trust Him. And so our prayer is to be more of the middle. If you've been at River a long time, you know the things that I've worked on in my home and all of that. And i, I got to tell you, my house I mean, it was built in the 1800s and it has 1,800-year-old problems. Uh, it's, it's just stuff. I'm kind of inches having most of the big stuff worked out. But the perspective that I've had over the years, God could have given me a turnkey house if he wanted to that didn't have any problems. He could have. But you know what? It's been good for me to have those headaches. It's been good for me to have to go out on Christmas and dig up a septic system. It's been good for me to have just problems, you know, because it has kept me humble. It's kept me needful before a holy God. And that's actually more important than having a house that doesn't have any problems. And that's what God's trying to teach us this day. You see, your my heart gets cold when we start pursuing any of that stuff instead of God. 
See, God's the only thing in this world that we should pursue in and of Himself. Everything else that we pursue in and of itself actually ends up becoming an idol. And God has a way of knocking those off the shelf, knocking them to the floor, and taking them away because God is a jealous God. And when you and I pursue whether whatever it is, making our just oh, we're just so creative, anything. I don't care if it's a hobby, I don't care if it's an activity, if it's a bank account, if it's a title or a position. There's so many things that we want to pursue. And when we pursue those in and of themselves, God's blessing is removed, our heart is cold, and we are walking away from God. Instead, we pursue God in the middle of it, and we enjoy those. And it's a, a relationship of gratitude toward a God that gives them to us. So I don't know how God has spoken to you this morning. I know coming out of the holidays, I don't know how it works for you. Just in my world, just it's, it's kind of one big party from birthdays and anniversaries and all of that. And it's always kind of on this side, like, okay, can we get back to real life? Like, I enjoyed it, but I just, can we get back to normalcy? And part of that is, is just doing a check on your heart with where you are. So where are you? What has God been speaking into you today? Is there something that you've been pursuing apart from Him? And God has used this passage to deal, to point it out, then deal with it and say, God, forgive me. You might need to let it go entirely or maybe you need to put it away for a while. I don't know. But you need to respond to God in that. And Maybe you've stepped back and you're like, well, I don't know why I'm so cold and distant and you've just kind of gotten used to it. And God says, no, I'm not the one that moved. You did. And maybe you need to take this time to say, God, I just realized that. Help me, Lord. And maybe the first thing you need to do is to just focus on who God is and ignoring or letting go whatever the other stuff is around you that you've been pursuing and just start there. Whatever God has been dealing with in your heart, deal with that today, would you? Talk to Him about it. Pray with me. Father, thank You for Your goodness, Your love, and Your grace. Lord, help us to be a people that pursues You, that trusts You, Lord. You have revealed to us all that we need to know in this life to make our way through it. Help us to not to reject hardships, but help us to pray for the middle, just like Agar taught us, that, Lord, we don't want to be in such hardship that we curse You for the difficulties but Lord, I pray that you would remove from us the ease and the pride and just the self-satisfied fulfillment. And help us as people to embrace that the middle, even with all the difficulties and challenges that come through our life, is actually good because it keeps us humble before you and keeps us pursuing you. So Lord, help us to do simply that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 